It's not a trade-off by making a decision to use a more sustainable product. I'm Yoni Fushman. I'm Prab Banga. Welcome to the Road to Net Zero podcast. Acon Sustainability Podcast. Welcome to episode two of our podcast. In our last podcast, we talked about scope one emissions, specifically our direct emissions associated with our operations. Um, And we talked about the efforts of equipment manufacturers to eventually transition to zero emission fleet. Right. In this episode, we're going to start talking about scope three emissions, which are the emissions associated with our supply chain. And to understand our scope three emissions better, we we did a scope three scan last year and a lot of uh, not so surprising information from that scope three scan. And what we found is that a significant portion of the emissions associated with our scope three emissions is, is with materials, so specifically steel and concrete. So concrete isn't just an issue for construction, it's an issue globally. So we've seen studies that estimate about 8% of global GHG emissions are associated with concrete. Which is a very surprisingly high amount. So that takes us to our next guest for our podcast today, which is Kaylee Ellis. Kaylee is currently the head of sustainability and environment with Lafarge. In her role, Kaylee leads major initiatives related to climate and energy, circular economy, nature, community investment, human rights, and indigenous engagement. Prior to joining Lafarge, Kaylee spent over 15 years in the energy sector, gaining experience in clean tech investment, government, and leading environmental and regulatory portfolios. Kaylee holds an MBA in executive management, an MSc in environmental practice, and a water resources engineering technology diploma. Thank you for joining us today, Kaylee. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for having me. So Kaylee, I thought maybe we could just start with some level setting for the the less technical people uh, in the audience, of which I admit I am one. So um, let's just start with cement and concrete, uh, not synonymous. If uh, you spend any time around contractors, engineers, and and uh, you use those words interchangeably, you're going to see them cringe. Um, and so uh, I'm sure this is something that you suffer through too. So uh, I thought I would just start with the basics. So um, concrete is composed of sand, gravel, water, air, and cement. Did I get that right? Absolutely. And some of that cement can be offset by other supplementary cementitious materials, but you are absolutely correct. And I'll steal a, uh, a metaphor that uh, my colleague in Eastern Canada often uses, and he says um, conquer, cement is to concrete as yeast is to bread. Perfect. Okay. That's a really good one. That's we're going to use that. Let's talk about cement. So, so obviously there are emissions associated with a number of those elements, um, the, the production and transport of sand and gravel, for instance. But um, specifically around cement, my understanding of the emissions associated with cement, there's basically two big elements. One is you're taking raw materials, you're putting them through a kiln, and then there's a chemical reaction which produces CO2 emissions. And then you're also powering that kiln, uh, which has its own uh, emissions associated. How close is that? That is exactly correct. Uh, so it's interesting that you are speaking about, I think, you're, you know, looking at yours, yours as an organization and looking at your own kind of scope of emissions profile. We have also had to, you know, undertake that exercise And our scope one emissions are largely from the production of the cement, the cement that we have to produce to support our other product lines and to provide uh, more broadly to the market. And so if you're looking at uh, a cement manufacturing facility, about 75% of those 
emissions come from the decarbonization of raw materials. So that's exactly that. It's heating up the limestone, which is a calcium carbonate. And then um, CO2 is released in that process. And once that moves through the kiln, you have a remaining product called clinker. You know, when you hear anyone in the system talking about clinker and clinker factor, our opportunity to reduce clinker factor is the most substantial lever in front of us for remove, uh, for reducing the amount of emissions in the products that we provide to market. And then the remaining 25% of emissions, that comes from the fuels that we use uh, to heat the kiln. So traditionally, um, you know, natural gas is a primary fuel source in that regard. But uh, Lafarge, who's a member of Wholesome, which is a global organization, has made tremendous advancements in using alternative fuels as another mechanism to reduce our scope to emissions. And this uh, this seeks to replace traditional fossil fuels with uh, materials that would otherwise be destined for landfill. Things like building and construction, demolition waste, non-recyclable plastics. So really beneficial for both um, an emissions intensity reduction perspective, but also as it relates to circular economy and really finding opportunities to um, make something that has no end of life purpose into a feedstock for another product. That's great. So, you know, that was my next question in terms of how Lafarge is mobilizing to reduce emissions associated with concrete, but also what sort of market signals did you see specifically in Canada that, that led you to start thinking about sustainable concrete options? When we look at our decarbonization journey as an organization, it's, it's really quite complex. So first and foremost, the market signals kind of broadly speaking come from the investment community and that's really moved a lot of significant um, and sophisticated organizations to start thinking about their own net zero commitments. We are actually seeing a bit of movement from you know different market areas uh, where we're starting to see increased demand for uh, increased demand for those products, those green products that have a lower embodied carbon or high higher circularity and that they are inherent with more recycled materials. So you mentioned EcoPact and uh, given how much conventional concrete we still see being used, I, I think some of our listeners might be surprised to hear just how advanced EcoPact is in terms of the ability to, to reduce carbon actually to a, a pretty significant level in your different levels of EcoPact Ecopact Prime, Ecopact Max, Ecopact Zero. Maybe you could just give us a little bit of an overview of of that product generally, and um, you know what's entailed with each one, and then what kind of what what kind of take up you're seeing. So Ecopact is Wholesome's global brand for sustainable concrete. It's not a single product per se. It's really more intended to be a framework for how we can provide a sustainable green crop, uh, green concrete to our market. And so we approach every opportunity where we are selling uh, concrete to our customers to look at that as an opportunity to be more sustainable and then think about the different factors such as, you know, what are your sustainability goals? What is, where is the location of this, you know, the poor going to be taking place? What are some of the climate considerations? What are some of the design specifications that need to be considered in advance? And so this is why we call the product EcoPact. The Eco is intended to represent sustainability and the environment. And the pact is not only intended to just 
reflect our commitment to sustainability, but also the collaboration that is necessitated across the entire value chain to come together to identify sustainability outcomes for projects early so that we as a building and construction materials provider are there when the project is being planned and designed to have the opportunity to say, you know, we could bring you this product. It has X amount reduced carbon, but we also have to recognize, you know, it might take X number of days for it to set to the same strength. So how can we modify and work that into your schedule so that we can use a more sustainable product that won't have an impact to the end goal of your project, thinking about, you know, time and cost and all those pieces. Okay. And, you know, just in terms of your EcoPack product, um, you know, one of the questions that I get a lot of the times from our teams are just around what the differences are between EcoPack and green concrete versus the traditional option. So what would you say some of those key differences are? Um, and, and what are some challenges you would say that currently exists when it comes to using um, green concrete like EcoPack? So thank you for that question specifically around, you know, how does EcoPact compare to a traditional concrete product? And then what are the challenges that we, you know, are seeing across the market in, in being able to advance uptake of that? So when you compare um, an EcoPact product, what we're comparing it to when we say that it has a lower embodied carbon, we are comparing that to a concrete that would have been used for the application if its cementitious material was 100% ordinary Portland cement or kind of OPC as it's known. Now we're able to use um, Portland limestone cement, which has an increase in its limestone concentration, which can re- which helps to reduce the clinker factor in that mix that I spoke about earlier, which is really that key piece to be able to reduce. So that is kind of the fundamental basics on which we start to build our eco-packed product line. And then, as I had mentioned earlier, finding those opportunities to be able to look for other opportunities, other materials that can continue advance um, the emissions reduction, the embodied carbon associated with that. On the challenges side, one of the biggest issues is largely around specifications. And I think anyone that's worked in a you know a regulatory environment and, and dealt with this understands the complexity of kind of trying to seek variations and variances to specifications, and then also, you know, finding the opportunities to work with the appropriate actors in the system to change specifications. So prescriptive specifications often limit the ability to optimize sustainability. And so we really are strongly working with governments engineers, architects, to try to move the system towards a performance-based approach to specifications. Something like that would really allow us to understand what the client needs out of the concrete they're procuring, and then allow us to design the most sustainable mix around that. And, you know, in that, that kind of goes back to those early conversations, because we have to take into consideration the performance considerations that need to be accounted for planning and scheduling. And then also just recognizing that um, it also necessitates that those new materials are adopted within the CSA standards. And so that becomes overall more challenging, but we have seen some really promising, you know, 
results from our engagements directed with engineers and architects that are really willing to understand the product, the green products, the sustainable products and solutions that we're able to offer and to be able to understand how, you know, an adjustment to their internal specifications could be able to support the broader uptake of those materials. Okay, and what about cost? Um, how does the cost range of, of the EcoPack product from your um, level one, which is your 30% reduction, all the way to your fourth level, which is zero emissions? Cost is certainly an incredibly important consideration and factor for you know any of the customers, the clients that we're working with and providing this to. It's hard to give kind of a specific number or even a range because we do have to take into consideration kind of the evolution and adoption of new technologies that are all taking place behind the scenes to support this advancement. We also make significant investments into research as well as the validation and monitoring monitoring of those products as they continue to evolve. So it's not as much um, what I have seen in projects that I've you know, been exposed to where we've been working with clients that really want to understand what the different you know, price ranges are by starting at, say, EcoPact and then moving to EcoPact Zero. It's really not as much as I had initially expected it to be, especially when you start to consider that in the context of the social and environmental benefits and just that intrinsic value that can be earned in making that choice. So what we really recommend our clients do is work with our product specialists to understand, you know, help us understand the project, the outcomes you're trying to achieve, and then create that space to have the conversation around the sustainable building materials. And with that, you'll be able to compare the cost to a traditional mix versus going with an eco-packed product. Kelly, I just wanted to turn back to uh, your previous comment about specifications, and that's definitely something that we see as a challenge generally. Uh, there's a lot of conservatism in specifications, um, and and really that goes back to, I think, uh, safety concerns. So when you're looking at big critical infrastructure, dams, bridges, I think there's a there's a natural resistance um, to being, you know, to wanting to try something new that people, I think, understandably want to see a product that has decades of, of uh, you know, proven out experience. So um, is it fair to assume that you're seeing the most pickup for these products uh, in other spaces? You know, it, like, for instance, um, residential or, or non-residential buildings, uh, sidewalks, things like that. Where are you seeing the most take up right now? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question and observation. And it certainly impacts our considerations and, you know, how we're having these conversations and who we really need to engage with specifically. We've had some really great opportunities with home builders and developers to be able to advance the uptake of our eco-packed product line to build those very kind of like when you think about infrastructure and what would be considered kind of low risk, high risk from a safety perspective, just in terms 
terms of, you know, thinking about how that material and that, um, you know, in structure are going to hold up into the long term. So we've seen really great uh, uptake within those kind of like smaller settings. But we do have some markets where we've been providing these, uh, these materials for a really long time. And because of that, we actually have really good data to be able to demonstrate that the performance, the resilience, the all of the things that are important as it relates to concrete and why we want concrete, that there is no, um, it, it's not a trade-off. It's not a trade-off by making a decision to use a more sustainable product. And I think it really, you know, kind of comes down to this element around risk and Understanding, you know, having worked in government previously in, in past lives, I understand that, you know, there is this, it, it, we have to regulate to the highest risk. We ultimately have to make decisions to ensure that, you know, there is no residual risk by making one decision over another or being willing to, you know, adjust a specification in this regard. But I think what really needs to be taken into consideration is that we also have tremendous research and innovation that's going in behind this. We have local, we have our innovation lab um, in Edmonton in the Western Canadian market. And because we're a member of Wholesome, you know, we have access to product specialists that do nothing but research and innovation as it relates to the concrete and the products that we provide to market. I think there's also a really logical part in this too, that it's like we as, you know, we're the face of the products that we're providing out to market. We are a household name and we also as a company don't want to be providing products that don't have the same performance uh, as compared to another project. And so while I do recognize that there is, you know, additional consideration and conversations that need to be taken into account when we're thinking about, you know, kind of structures that potentially failure would have a higher consequence, but that's not going to be in any entity's best interest. Um, so I think it's some of those things that have to be taken into consideration as well when we think about these different types of opportunities. And if it's ultimately a performance base, we have to be able to guarantee that. And so if there's this opportunity to advance, like our understanding of risk has really changed. And so if we can advance from a specific specification that says, you know, you must do this and you must have this much of X product in this material and focus specifically on performance, we as the you know, we're the company that is accountable ultimately for that performance. Thank you so much for that, Kelly. And, you know, you're exactly right. And it's it's neat to see that even the name of the product being eco-packed and that last piece being packed and really representing the collaboration that's required in this industry. And, you know, we have our own 20, net zero 2050 goal. And a large part of that is is looking at our building materials and, and working with our suppliers and working with suppliers like yourself who are being innovative in this space because, you know, you guys are our scope three emissions. And so that's that's a part of our, our net zero um, target by 2050. Yeah, the, the big assumption in us getting to net zero 2050 is that you get to net zero 2050. So we're all counting on you. 
Well, you know, I'm we're we're happy to be part of your roadmap, and I think that that there is so much opportunity when we think about all of the different players along the construction value chain. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Acon Group Inc. for more updates and teasers about upcoming episodes. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to our Road to Net Zero podcast.